This episode is sponsored by Riverside, the easiest way to record audio and video for your next episode. I was originally going to do something kind of clever in this ad, but it was taken away from me. My original plan was to capture the audio from my neighbor's front lawn. See, right outside my home office, they're doing a lot of construction right now, and I have to record interviews for this show. And I'm like, ah, what am I going to do? So I wanted to play some of that, and then it stopped. Of course, of course. But that's how this work goes. Never goes according to plan. And when things crash, when your computer crashes, when your dog is barking, when your internet cuts out, or when your neighbors are doing lots of construction, you still want to capture high-quality audio and video. And one way I do that is to use Riverside. That's where this entire program is recorded. Riverside continuously uploads everybody's audio and video during the recording to the cloud. The recordings are saved automatically, all the issues I just mentioned are less severe, and of course there's no weird robo-voices that you get with programs like Skype or Zoom. So get studio-quality audio and video right from your browser. Visit riverside.fm. Hey, Jay here, and... uh. I keep uh, this is ridiculous. So I keep I keep ties with a lot of the people that I've interviewed on the show. We've done uh, oh man, hundreds of episodes, and, and that includes unthinkable. But I think if you add in client podcasts that I've hosted and continue to host, it's something like four hundred and fifty to five hundred episodes in the last few years. It's insane. It's it's a it's an amazing feat that my microphone continues to sit and listen to me and hasn't just like walked out of my office in defeat and quit. Um, so, okay, so this is that's not the insane part. Here's the weird part. So, because I keep ties with people that have been featured on the show, you know, I'll get like Google news alerts or I follow them on social media, and I came across this ridiculous news article about one of the companies that I featured in uh, season three of Unthinkable. And they also featured heavily in my book, and they were featured in a very brief run of public speaking that I did. I, I've since moved to a different speech, but uh, so, you know, I, I feel close to this story and to this company in a weird way. I feel like a little weird sense of pride. You know, they're all, all the stories I've told are, are my babies, uh, but I feel equally in love with all of them. Actually, that's not true whatsoever. There's one episode where I actually feature the sounds of my newborn daughter cooing. So that one is obviously the one that's most special to me, but everyone else, you know, you're like right behind that. You're, you're to- you're like a pet. No, this is, this analogy is really falling off the rails. I like all the people I've featured. Until this moment. <laughs> kind of. I got an alert that this company I featured with a very uh, great and creative entrepreneur at the helm has released a pumpkin spice version of their product. All the news coverage was like, right when you think we're at peak pumpkin spice, this happens. This crap happens. And, and I use the word crap very strategically, as you'll see in this episode. So I want to replay one of the more popular episodes ever, one of my favorite stories, given that I just came across this insane announcement that this company has now gotten in on the pumpkin spice idea. Uh, and again, I use that word crap very strategically, as you will hear. Okay, enough uh, tiptoeing around this. Let's dive into this episode. I think you're going to love it. Okay. Okay. Um, I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> hey, hey there, friend. It's me, Jay. Um, so, so this is a little awkward. 
I mean, not, not the story that we're going to tell. The story is actually far from awkward. The story deals with a really successful brand. It's actually pretty big today. And it all started with a really smart observation about people that others ignored. And the company is run by this great entrepreneur who truly understands the pitfalls hidden within the latest best practices. And she understands the power of intuition. Like, like this should be the perfect story for this show. It's just that her business focuses on um, on a somewhat uh, taboo topic. You see, today we're going to talk about... How, sh- how should I put this? Um, it's a topic that we've known about our entire lives. In-, in fact, it's something that we've all dealt with, like literally everybody on the entire planet. But, uh, I mean, we don't love talking about it. See, today we have to talk about... Um, okay, all right, I'm going to say it. Here we go. I'm going to say it right here into this microphone, right here. I'm going to say it to you and to thousands of other people like you. All right. Today, we have to talk about poop. It's poop. Okay, guys? Are you, are you happy? There. I said it. Poop. Today, we're talking about poop. <sighs> it's weird. It's uncomfortable. It's kind of ridiculous. Keep, keep, keep it going. It's unthinkable. Stories of conventional thinking in our work and the people who dare to question it. I'm a, a pretty bashful Jay Akunzo. All right, so let's just dive in. To the, to the story. I meant dive into the story. Ah, I want you to meet Susie. Susie Batiz, CEO to conservative crowds, but PEO to the rest of us. What does that mean? Poo executive officer. <laughs> poo executive officer. Wait, okay, so that needs some explanation. What? Why are you the poo executive officer? Well, because I sell a lot of poo spray. <laughs> It's true. She sells a lot of poo spray. Susie is the founder of a company called, ready for this? Poo-pourri. Poo-pourri. Yeah. It's a spray that you use on the toilet water before you go, and it creates a layer of floral-scented oil on the top of the water to trap the smell. And there's no odor. And it, it really works. I actually use it personally. Here, take a listen. I'm, I'm not actually going to play that for you. Are you are you serious? No way. I'm not quite as into this stuff as Susie. She's the PEO after all. Does that come out at like cocktail parties and on your business card? Like how, how far ranging is that title in terms of how, like how public are you about that? Yeah, I'm pretty public about it um, because, you know, it's kind of all ridiculous. It's like, oh my gosh, I've made millions of dollars selling a poo spray. It's like some cosmic <laughs> joke. And it's an amazing product and great. And I'm super grateful, but it's kind of funny, you know, <laughs> it's like keeps me, keeps me very humble. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like most people you'd compete with are addressing something fundamentally different about the problem than you are. They're addressing the air, you're addressing the water, they're addressing after you go to the bathroom, and you're addressing before. Like, how did you notice that that was an opportunity? Where did that insight come from? I was talking with my brother-in-law one day, and he asked me, you know, what can we do about this odor? And he said, do you think it can be trapped? And I'm like, exactly. How can we address this before it even begins? So, really quickly, Susie arrived at what I'd call the first principal insight of the matter that basic but hard-to-reach truth about the world in front of her. Now, we've talked before about first principle insights on the show. They're these fundamental truths that cut through all the conventional thinking, and they help us build up more original thinking from there. It's not because we have some kind of gift or experience a stroke of genius. It's because we're starting in a better place than others. First principle insights make exceptional things seem logical instead of unthinkable. 
So although at first glance, poopery seems crazy or, or makes you shake your head, when you hear Susie discuss it, it's like, oh, well, that actually makes a ton of sense. For instance, it's airborne, right? So once the odor's created, it's just kind of going out in the room and going everywhere. And it's like, hold on, stop. What if we just address the problem before it begins? So yeah, I was really curious. Like, can I stop it before it even starts? Very simply, she was curious. This would become a huge theme for Susie, both in the next phase of her entrepreneurial journey and really her entire life more broadly. But before that, Susie had been through some really rough times. In her 20s, she was dealing with an abusive marriage, a marriage that she eventually ended. She also started a startup that ended in bankruptcy, and a few more that failed after that. In the eventual crash of the stock market, Susie's home and her cars were repossessed. But she says that all of that prepared her to launch Poopery. If you know my life story, you know, I've been bankrupt twice, been in abusive marriages and some things, like, I know shit. Uh, literally, like shit in my life. And so she knew, even when not dealing with bodily functions, the best way to deal with crappy situations is to prepare ahead of time. You know, before shit hits the fan, or in this case, the water. But, uh, but it's one thing to identify a first principle insight, it's another to act on it. I asked Susie if she was ready to launch yet another company, given everything she'd been through. No way. I had sworn myself off of business. I had deemed myself the worst entrepreneur in the world. I was like, that's it. Like, I'm done. I had my second bankruptcy in 2000, and I was exhausted. I was super depleted, and I went on a true spiritual journey. Like, I went inside because the outside world, I was always grasping. Like, I was always going to make money or, you know, this success was going to get me somewhere. And I just stopped and said, that's it. I'm done. But she just couldn't shake that that curiosity. She couldn't stop wondering, what if? And she couldn't wait to find out the answer. I was obsessed. So what changed? You can call it intuition, but what I'm looking for is resonance. I'm looking for what idea and me together actually create more energy. And why did this particular idea light you up? I, it lit me up because I think it, it had not been done before. It uh, was that whole passion purpose thing. Like I, my hobby was essential oils. I was passionate about natural products and I just knew in my gut I could do it. That's where that gut intuition, I'm like, I can do this. Like I can create this product. It took me a year and a half to bring it to market. It took me nine months to actually invent it and formulate it, but it didn't matter. It's like there was no time. I wasn't going to stop. But you see, Everyone else wanted her to stop. Everyone thought it was a bad idea. But my experience, Jay, is when we have these super inspired, passionate, resonant ideas, it doesn't matter what the outside world thinks because we're literally turned on. I wish we hadn't used that saying in such a sexual sense because you literally are turned on. Your, your energy is actually amplified. Now, my background is in tech startups. I first worked in-house at a couple of companies, companies like Google and HubSpot and Daily Break Media, and then I spent three years at the venture capital firm NextView Ventures. In all my years in tech, one thing was abundantly clear. Great entrepreneurs are obsessed with solving problems for their customers. And Susie 
is no exception. You know, I didn't study anything on the market. I didn't do any zero market research. I literally was already formulating in my head before I got home. Just one problem. It's really hard to solve your customers' problems if your customers don't want to talk to you about, you know, that problem. Nobody wanted to talk about what I was doing. That's when I tell you nobody thought it was a good idea. Literally, no one wanted to talk about the subject matter. So I knew it had to be funny because that helped break the ice from this taboo topic I was talking about. And I knew I wanted it to be pretty because I was tired of the aluminum cans. I thought those are so ugly, you know, sitting on the back of a toilet. And also, I love the juxtaposition of it looking like a perfume bottle, but it's actually a poop spray. We'll touch on all the, the funny things in a bit, and it, it's actually pretty incredible. But the beauty is obvious. I'll try to describe this, this bottle that I'm holding right now, right here. It arrived in my home in this sleek, all-black box with the bottle carefully nestled in some shredded black paper inside. The scent of this one here is called Smoky Woods. It's packaged in this rectangular, upright spritz bottle that fits neatly into my palm, really similar to a bottle of perfume or, or a bottle of cologne. Across the front of the bottle, there's a white sash that reads Poopery left to right, and it's been drawn across the front almost like a banner draping above some kind of formal gathering. The background of each bottle varies, but this one here is colored black with a fairy tale landscape drawn onto it. You first notice all the, the flowers and the vines in white and gold and silver, but if you look hard enough, you'll see toilet paper weaved into those vines and water pipes running up and down the bottle. On either corner, two angels sit wearing crowns, both colored all white. One is playing the trumpet, and the other is tossing a roll of toilet paper across the very top of the bottle. In all of this, one thing is clear. This has been designed to look beautiful on purpose. <laughs> Do you remember the first bottle you created? Like, as someone who's not an inventor, I'd be curious to hear, like, what the process of creating that first prototype was like. Yeah, so the thing is, is you have to remember, I'd been in a lot of businesses and never in consumer goods. Um, so I had, you know, interior design firms and tanning salons and beauty salons, and I had, like, brick-and-mortar businesses, but I never was in a—I never had a product— so I knew nothing. So Susie called up people in consumer packaged goods, and she asked to meet for coffee to learn about the process. And they all said things like, you know, you need to put it in a bottle. So here are some sources for that. Go check them out. You need a manufacturer to fill it. Here are some names and on and on. And so she'd call up a few of those people and say, hey, this is my product. Could you do that? And they would say no. And I'd say, can you help point me into the direction of where I need to go? Yeah, I think so-and-so may do that. Even while she got all these no's, she'd ask the right questions to satisfy her curiosity. Through all those conversations, Susie was able to combine her own insight with what others already knew. People want to help you make it and they want to help you succeed. And that is why best practices lead to average work. 
if the thing you're banking on is how to do the something, well, you're going to make something average. It might be important stuff to know, but it's insufficient if you want to do anything exceptional. Because in this information age, the how-to is table stakes. There's no excuse for not knowing how to do something. But luckily for Susie, she started with the more important thing. She had intimate knowledge about the problem her customers faced. And once she understood that, she could combine that knowledge with all the expertise that others so willingly shared and do something great. She started with the why and others had the how. What you don't know is actually your superpower. So use your ignorance to your advantage. So Susie had her initial bottle, but it wasn't exactly flying off the shelves. People were still pretty skittish around the subject matter, even with the beautiful packaging. So she had to fight and claw her way to initial sales. It was pretty much doing a lot of begging. Early on, Poopery was a really smart product built on an even smarter observation. But they needed another insight to turn that product into a company. Again, Susie's product looked beautiful. But marketing would be difficult, since it's a topic that people really don't want to pay much attention to. You, you, So rather than try and fight that, she embraced it. She leaned into the skid, uh, pun sorely <laughs> intended, Moving on, um, she made the product funnier, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's it. She made the product funnier in order to ease the tension that others felt. For example, that bottle that I'm holding here, in addition to being beautiful and designed to look like a fairy tale, it has this limerick on the side, which is actually kind of funny. Here's what it says. <clears throat> there once was a lad from Rhone, whose odor he'd rather disown. Now he's taming his poo by anointing the loo, and now happily sits on his throne. <laughs> so so that kind of approach helped Poopery move from a product to a company, and they sold 4 million of these bottles in the early goings of the business. Rather than try and convince people it was okay to talk about poo, they embraced that it wasn't. Susie figured, if you're going to giggle anyway, we may as well make you laugh. And nothing made people do that quite like their first viral project, a video called Girls Don't Poo. You would not believe the mother load I just dropped. Here's what happened to make this video. I took a team, I camped everybody out up at Sundance, and we wrote the script, designed a website, cast it, built sets and everything in a two-week period. Yes, it probably looked like hard work from the outside, but we were just having fun, La laughing literally our asses off. Nothing is worse than stinking up the shared toilet at work, or the toilet at a party, or your lover's apartment. Of course, flushing removes the graphic evidence. But what can be done of that subtle scent of a 300 cow dairy farm? This video stars a pretty redheaded young woman in a flowing powder blue dress. She wears a big pearl necklace, pearl earrings, and bold pink lipstick. She looks like a princess. Only her throne is made of, well, porcelain. So, how do you make the world believe your poop doesn't stink? Or in fact, that you never poop at all? Poopery. Poopery is the before-you-go toilet spray that has proven to trap those embarrassing odors at the source and save relationships. And naturally, the entire time they were creating this, they wanted it to be huge. But let's face reality. Uh, the, the people that I partnered with at the time kept telling me, do not expect a viral video. Viral videos don't happen. This is a conversion video. But of course, 
what happened. The first, I think, four days into it, you know, two or four days, I don't remember the numbers, but we were $4 million in back order. Like it just went viral and blew the top off of our business. The video got over 250 million views, all by addressing a taboo topic publicly and hilariously. And the orders just kept pouring in. Yes, it is a real product. And yes, it really works. So whether you need to pinch a loaf at work, cut a rope at a party, or lay a brick at your boyfriend's, your days of embarrassing smells or prairie dogging it are over. Poopery. Our business is to make it smell like your business never even happened. You've done hundreds of millions in sales from a poop spray company, for crying out loud. And also you get very serious journalists like me to say the phrase poop spray to thousands of people. <laughs> so so there's that that you've accomplished too. But with all those crazy numbers and the success and the passionate fans and customers, why is this success to you not crazy? The reason it's not crazy is because people love great products. When an entrepreneur comes to me and says they have a a good idea, I tell them to keep pushing it until it's great. Because people don't share good, they share great. And, And everything can be great, but you have to keep tweaking until you've refined it to where it's great. That's what we do with our videos. So we, um, In the conversion video world, what we do is we shoot a lot of intros, a lot of middles, and a lot of endings. And then we do conversion marketing where we put them all online. And what we're looking for is that scenario where it's not just a good video, where it is an epic video. Susie's defining trait seems so simple. It's that curiosity that I mentioned before. The driving force behind her launching this product was simply wondering, could she solve the problem? Like, can I make this work? I never, ever thought about actually bringing it to market. Remember, I had sworn off of being in business. It was more, I was looking at the challenge, like, can I do this? Can I actually create this product? I mean, I even think about it as a product. It's like, can I just invent this? Can I stop odor? And then once I stopped odor, I was like, you know, my my husband walked out of the bathroom one day and he literally said, oh my God, we're going to be millionaires. And I said, what do you mean? And he's like, do you realize what you've done? You have taken the smell out of crap. Like, that's what you've done here. And that's when I started thinking about it as a product. Today, Susie has built a $300 million business by staying curious. One more time, $300 million of poo spray. So what's her secret? Well, for starters, she knows that there are no secrets. Instead of obsessing over someone else's answers or some best practice, she questions everything. She asks more questions than the average person, and she can't shake this need to find her own answers. And I think that's a huge reason why some people wield their intuition like a weapon, while others have it covered or even locked away. People who trust their intuition wonder why others accept things at face value. Why is that the best practice? Why are we doing things a certain way? Why is that the solution that we're using to solve our problem? Why can't we do something better? If we want to do exceptional things in our work, we shouldn't merely be compliant with best practices because then we're being complicit in doing commodity things. Instead, try to spark that curiosity using two things, anger and audacity. Get angry at average work and then have the audacity to try and do better. When you put those two things together, you're unstoppable. But I think too many of us stop 
at the anger. We get angry, we get mad, we get frustrated, and then we realize, well, we don't have a plan to solve that problem. We don't have the ability, the resources, the permission, or the time to move forward. And so we need to couple that anger with audacity. Take it from Susie. When you are, when you and an inspired idea are dancing together, you don't have to know anything. You literally are moving from one inspired idea to another, to another, to another, you know? It's like there is no big plan. It's more like, oh my gosh, let's go this direction. Yeah, that looks really good. And I try that and that doesn't work. And then, oh, what about this direction? So then I just started looking at different essential oils. How can I formulate it? Oh, hold on. Oil actually beads up on water. How can I get it not to bead, but to spread out? And all of that was just curiosity and a challenge. So often in the business world, we do things backwards. We try to gather up all kinds of answers ahead of time, like we know what will happen. I remember working in ad sales early on in my career at Google. I was so confused by people who sold advertising and people who purchased it because of the way they acted. They acted in reverse. They made multi-million dollar advertising purchases based on some 24-year-old telling them that, yeah, we could guarantee a certain number of ad impressions or clicks. It's like, uh... No, we haven't even acted yet. So how could we possibly know? This thing hasn't happened in the world, so how do we have our definitive answers? Instead, what we were really doing was giving some kind of generic answer to something that will have to become specific eventually. We were operating in the abstract instead of in our client's specific context. And it's not just in advertising, by the way. This is, this is everywhere in business. We try to know what will happen up front to justify acting. And that's a mistake. What I would say to someone like that is forget about the way they do it in corporate America. Corporate America is dying. It is not the future. So what happens is, let's go back to biology. A cell is either in a growth phase or it's in a protection phase. And it can't be in both of those at the same time. So think about it. What's a startup? A startups are growing, right? It is constantly growing. What is a big, large corporation? It's in protective phase. It's sustain what we have. We're going to grow a little bit by acquisitions or whatever, but there's not going to be a lot of natural growth within that large corporation, unless you're like maybe a Google who's kept it more as a startup, right? I would not look at anything any large corporation does because the way that business is being done and ran in our world is actually killing our world. It's time for us to create new systems. So what I would do is just start following inspired idea after inspired idea. Just start going down trails and rabbit holes. And then um, do it after hours. Don't worry about work. Do your work. You need to feed the children and take care of your responsibilities. But keep Keep going towards what turns you on after hours. That's what exceptional work requires. We need to find a place in our schedules for curiosity, for for tinkering. We don't have the answers, but instead we obsess over finding them. Susie actually structures her business to match that way of operating. Remember the whole growth and protection about a cell and it can't um, occupy both spaces at the same time? So I have a protective part of the business. You know, it's usually called operations. That's the part that, you know, they're not going to be super creative in that department and they're not really looking at growing a lot. That is just, just keep it running. And then I have the creative part of the business, innovation and creativity, where this is always growing. You know, operations has to grow to keep up with what the creative and innovation labs do, but I have it a little bit segregated like that. 
As a team, they've also agreed on a set of values. And of course, they don't call them values. This is a company named Poopery, after all. Instead, they call those values Poo-manments. Poo-manments. Yeah, let's see. Um, One of them is let it flow. And it talks about just release. If it didn't work, you know, move on, keep going, do epic shit. Um, The universe has your backside. Um, One of ours is uh, your genius is showing. Oops, your genius is showing. We love people in our office actually finding their, we love discovering someone's genius and putting them in roles where their genius can really shine. The company now even has a book coming out. Called The Woo of Pooh, and it's you can change your life in the time you take a shit. And it has all of our poo mandments in there. So whether we use this story to get us started or our very own set of poo mandments for our work, it's time we made a change. It's time we stopped trying to gather up all of our answers to justify acting and instead act to find our answers. Find that thing that makes you mad and have the audacity to go and solve it. Just keep following that curiosity. Ask yourself, does the idea keep coming back on around and does it keep knocking at my door is what I call it. Like the idea will not leave you alone. Sounds to me like the important part here, especially when you're getting started, is is motion. Like it's not that I need to succeed in following that true north. It's that I need to get started. And as long as it continues to turn me on, I'm going to be able to put the pieces together. It's it's almost like that first little just like push of the boulder is what prevents some people from doing this. But but would you agree? Is it the initial motion that's important? Oh, I really appreciate how you just articulated that so well. And you're exactly right. It's the opposite of analysis paralysis. That is what 90% of our society's in. We overthink everything. This is actually keep moving. Just keep moving. I tell people that in business all the time. They come to me. I'm like, okay, where are you at? Um, and they say, well, you know, well, I'm making my business cards. It's like, you know what? Screw the business cards. Get out there and start you know, selling your product. Let's get it out there. Start moving. Start testing. We need to be more mobile. You know, you look at, again, we'll go back to the light bulb. It wasn't invented with, you know, business plans and business cards, right? It's like, it, like it's just test and test and test and test and test. So what I say is keep going towards your idea. Keep moving. Movement is the key and inspired movement. Start noticing when you really have a no, do not go that direction, no matter what. And don't take a lot of outside. You can get advice, but feel in and don't listen to what other people say. Just keep moving towards your idea. It may not be the original idea you start with, but it will be some version of that. That's how this stuff works. You ask questions, you investigate, you tinker forever. People like Susie do exceptional work, not because they've arrived but because they won't stop moving forward. I never had that, ah, I've made it. I still don't have that feeling because I don't think you ever, you know, I'm not interested in that end point. Um, I'm more interested. I'm just curious the whole way. There is no finish line. That is the lie we're told in our work. There's no winning. There's no done. We're trained to beat others, to prepare ourselves for arriving there. But once we get there, we'll see the truth. The road just keeps going. It just stretches onward forever until we decide to stop working. So so maybe we should stop training for a sprint and start preparing for a marathon. Maybe exceptional careers are built through constant movement forward. 
Actually, you know what? No, I said that wrong. Constant movement isn't what makes a great career. Constant movement is what a career is. So what if we cared less about finishing and more about moving? What if we cared less about being experts and more about being investigators? It's about eternal curiosity. I mean, that's what I want in doing this show. That's why I fight against best practices and make them out to be this this enemy that I build up and we try to tear down together. It's not that best practices are unhelpful or wrong. It's that they promote this sense of finality. Just do this. Just do that. It's the right way. The only way. The, the best way. It's the one simple secret. I mean, like that, of all things crap, is a load of crap. Like, I, I just want us to stop trusting all these gurus and list articles and rules at face value and to start trusting our intuition instead. We don't trust ourselves as a society. We've been taught to listen to experts. It's a, it's a social conditioning. Um, and really, we have to... Um, deprogram ourselves out of that. Um, and you can do that by you know, starting to trust your intuition. I call it insourcing versus outsourcing. You can get advice all you want, but remember what I told you is pull back into yourself and see how that feels. You are the creator. You're the one that it came to. So you are the one that has the power in this situation. And so I always teach entrepreneurs, like, remember that. You can get all kinds of advice, but you need to fill in because you know best and you are always going to know best. You are the authority figure. It's been a decade since Susie identified the root of this problem, and she's still just as curious about her work today. It's that curiosity that carries her forward little by little in this constant marathon that is her career. The thing I'm most proud of is sometimes when I come out of the bathroom or I go into the bathroom at work and realize I haven't smelled a stinky bathroom in 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike Susie, we still struggle with all the crap that our industry creates. In this information age, it's just so easy to ignore our curiosity and instead latch on to someone else's answers. The tips and tricks, the cheats and hacks, the gurus and the get-rich-quick schemes. But I mean, is that really why we got into our line of work? Really? Every time we ask an expert to just hand us an answer on a silver platter, it's like we're saying, hey, I don't matter, you tell me. And I don't know about you, but I wanted to matter in my career. I wanted to make things that I'm proud of and that others love too. And that's where it should start and end for us all. But instead, what do most people do? They obsess over gaming systems instead of solving problems. They agonize over squeezing every little drop of value from annoyed audiences using tired tactics. They want the perfect answers, that that one simple secret. And fine, I'm one of those people who earns a living saying stuff to others, so here's my secret. The only real secret is that there are no secrets. There's only hard work done with the right intent. And look, I know You have the right intent. But now, I'm asking you to prove it. I'm asking you to add that audacity to your anger. I'm asking you to stop obsessing over everyone else's best practices for you and instead to trust your intuition, to ask yourself the right questions, to pull out your answers from within. We've been focused on the wrong things. We've not been putting inspired products out into the world. People have just been putting crap. Large corporations, it's like, oh yeah, we can sell this and then we can sell that and we can sell this. You know, it's just a bunch of 
literally crap is being spread out into the world, it's actually killing us. Like literally, it's killing our earth, it's killing us as individuals, and it's not sustainable. What we need is we need we need more makers in the world, we need more people following inspired ideas, and we need more people not doing it the way it's always been done, because the way it's always been done is not working. My friend, it has never been easier to create average work. So why don't we create something else instead? A breath of fresh air. Thanks for listening. This episode was written, edited, and produced by me, Jay Akunzo. Unthinkable also receives production support from Alana Nevins. If you had any thoughts or questions on this episode or this show or my work overall, shoot me an email. I'm jay at unthinkablemedia.com. I'm also at Jay Akunzo on Twitter, and I really do love hearing from you and getting your thoughts on each episode. As an independent creator, I rely on the interaction with listeners like you, not only about each episode, but also the support that you can lend this program to keep it free to find and enjoy. You can share the show with a friend, leave a review in your podcast player of choice, or buy a book or my course on podcasting from my website. All these things help me stay independent and keep this show going. Thank you so, so much for your support. I'm back next week with a brand new episode of the show. Until then, keep making what matters. See ya. Thank you once again to our sponsor today, Riverside. Riverside is a platform that I love referring guests to, not just for them to use it if they're producers of audio or video themselves, but also I'm proud to invite them into the platform because it just feels peaceful. It's less stressful. It doesn't feel like this hardcore technical solution, even though the back end is incredibly sophisticated because Riverside lets you record studio quality audio and video right from your browser to do your show entirely virtually. But I get to feel good that I'm adding guests to that platform and get to treat them like a guest. There's no script here. This is genuinely my experience. I haven't had any issues with this platform to date. I've had a lot of issues with other platforms. This one has treated me well, and it's gorgeously designed. You can learn more and start trying their tools for free at riverside.fm. And thanks to them for sponsoring Unthinkable.